our announcements for today, I'm going to ask you to have you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 20. I'm going to read the text for this morning. First, beginning in verse 19, another amazing text. We are in the final week of Jesus' life before His crucifixion, and it's a busy, busy week. <laughs> He's preaching and teaching, lots of things going on. And then today, yep, the, the leaders, the religious leaders, they've got another question for Him. And this one's a trick question. Go figure. It's the kind of guys they are. So let me read the text, and then I'm going to pray one more time, and we'll dive in. Beginning in verse 19, Luke records, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him, Jesus, at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. So they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something that he said. So as to deliver him up to authorities and the jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him this question. Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Hmm. But he perceived their craftiness. And he said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answer, they became silent. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this beautiful day. Lord, we thank you. As we prayed early this morning as a ministry team, uh, we thank you that we get to be here this morning, that you've actually called each one of us in this building here today to be here at this time in history, literally, and those who are watching online, to be here together and to hear from you. So, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do that work this morning. You would take the, the words, the thoughts, the text that we have read today, uh, and you would use it. You would speak your heart and your mind here to all of us here gathered and also watching online. I pray that you would help me as I unpack this for everyone here this morning. I need your help. <laughs> and I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So, uh, I have a three-point outline for you. Uh, not always, but I do this morning. And an interesting title. The title for today's message is this, A Lesson in Rendering. Think about that one. Hope to show you three things. Number one, a heart of deception. Number two, a revolutionary question. And number three, a revolutionary answer. So last week, uh, Rudy uh, brought us a great message. Uh, uh, and he took us through the episode, he walked us through the episode that just recently happened in the temple when Jesus was again questioned by the religious leaders about his authority. Remember that? They questioned him about his authority. Essentially, they wanted to know not so much like, okay, Jesus, where did you get your Masters of Divinity? Where did you get your MDiv or your, your CV? Like, where did you study? Under which rabbi? No, that wasn't the main thing. They wanted to know where he got the authority to think he was okay or the right person to preach in their pulpit, which was in the temple. That's what they were questioning, really. And so it was a pride issue for them, and especially on Passover week. 
this is a big week. This is our pulpit. We should be the ones preaching. Where do you get that authority? So they ask him in a way that is intended, actually, quite frankly, to make him look weak in the eyes of the people who actually love his every word so far. And so he asks, of course, those religious leaders, as we saw last week, he asks them a question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And now what he did in that particular story or episode was he put them into a corner and boxed them in, didn't he? Because, of course, if they say, well, he's, he was from heaven, which is what the people believed, then, of course, Jesus could respond and said, well, why didn't you listen to him? You've ignored him, a prophet sent by God that you need to repent. And, of course, they, they, they didn't want to say from man because then they feared the people. The people were like, whoa, whoa, whoa. John the Baptist was a prophet of God, and so they feared the people. So they couldn't, they couldn't really answer. Jesus cornered them, and they answered quite lamely, uh, well, we don't know, <laughs> right? And so Jesus answered them and said, well, too bad. I'm not going to tell you then where I get my authority from. End of story, as if there was any doubt. So then in front of everyone, what Jesus then does is launched into that parable that Rudy read for us last week about the wicked tenants. And of course, they, they didn't get it. They didn't get that the, the parable, well, actually they did, as we'll see this morning. At the time, the parable was about them. It was about the prophets that God had sent before, and it was about them. And so that brings us to our text this morning and the first verse, which is verse 19, and I'll put it on screen for you and read it one more time, and our first point, a heart of deception was birthed in these men at that time. It says, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour. Why? Well, after listening to the parable of the wicked tenants, they perceived that he told this parable against them. They couldn't do anything about it because they feared the people. So you bet they did. You bet they took it personal. And you bet he meant it in the way that he said it. He was speaking about them. Yes, the parable was most certainly about them, and it was obvious to everyone that was there, not just to the religious leaders, but to the plebs, <laughs> the regular Jewish people, but also the Gentiles that were there. They all got that. So three days before they finally get what they want, three days now, it's Wednesday, three days before they get what they want, which is Jesus dead, buried, and hopefully gone from their lives forever, They're going to try one more time to make him look bad. And so in the context of the parable, he's telling them that they're just like the prophets of the Old Testament whom God sent to them and, 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 and whom they all rejected and in a few cases actually killed. And of course, the last of those prophets was John the Baptist, and they made sure that he was killed too. So they're now going to focus on the owner of the vineyard's beloved son, knowing that he is the heir and they still want to kill him. I mean, they heard this parable, Jesus speaking about himself as the son of God, as the heir, and they still want to kill him. And the reason is, as we've been seeing so far, is they just don't want him as their Messiah, as their Savior. They want a different kind of king, and so they want to do away with him. And so we need to watch this now, because this is what misguided, unfaithful, religious people do as they express their heart of deception. The next verse tells us, so they watched him. 
They, this takes place over about 36 hours, this particular point, where they're watching him. 24 at the very least. They watched him and then they sent some spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said so as to deliver him up to the authorities and the jurisdiction of the governor. So this is the beginning of their deceptive hearts. And I'm not sure if any of you have read any books uh, written by those who've uh, uh, actually pretended to be Christians, right? Since the, the year 2000, I think there's actually three or four books that have been written, written by uh, journalists who uh, they, they, they think, well, what we'll do is we'll go undercover. And they've gone into megachurches in the United States or into Bible college. One guy went into a Bible college for like 14, 15 months. And, and he went into that Bible college and he pretended to be a Christian. He went through everything that the Christians did. They went to the devotionals, to the worship singing. He got baptized in, in this Bible college. Uh, he went to the, the, the classes. He professed faith in Jesus. He acted like a Christian. This, this has been going on quite a few times. Uh, one went to a megachurch and did this. And then what they do, of course, is they, they write their article, their expose of what they've learned. And it's interesting. It's interesting that in almost every case they expose what they, what they expected to find, which was people who were, were kind of weird, you know, uh, were thinking that they believed in this mystical God that they've never ever seen. And quite frankly, yes, we also saw a bunch of their hypocrisy. Now, my question for you is, wait a second. <laughs> They're a spy. They're completely insincere. And yet they want to show you and I that Christians are insincere. Well, that's exactly what's going on here. <laughs> that's a thing, by the way. People do that. Now, I also have to tell you, just to be fair here, some Christians who think they were doing the right things also pretended to be a certain identity and joined a group of people so as to learn and also expose. So it can work both ways. So this is what these guys do. This is what they're doing right here. So now, as I said, this takes place over about a 24-hour, maybe 36-hour period at the most. But they are literally sent to pretend, to use deception, to get close to Jesus, to, to appear to be on the inside, to appear to believe in him and trust in him, you know, settling up beside his disciples. But really, they're there because they're looking for a way to destroy him. And they find their way. They find a strategy. And this brings us to point number two, a revolutionary question. I want you to think about that. Next two verses tell us, So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly, and you show no partiality. Now, this is sincerity, right? No. But truly teach the way of God. Here it is. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? So let's have a look at their strategy. These are pretty smart guys. Um, they have a, a goal in mind. It's been clear for some time, but they have a really definite goal in mind now that this is Passover week and, and, and the Sabbath is coming on Friday and, and they got to get this guy dealt with. So they know based on their assessment of Jesus and what the masses think of him that what they cannot do is a full-on frontal attack. They can't just grab him and haul him off to Pilate or to Caesar, to any of the governors, and say, kill him. 
They, they can't do that. They, they cannot do that. Again, it's for the fear of the people, and at least at this point still, the people are hanging on his every word. So they think that the best strategy would be to actually act like they truly respect Jesus, you know, butter him up a little bit, so that, again, the people are all present, so the people will be with them, and hey, they're being nice to Jesus. You know, like, this is, this is good. This is okay. And after a few hours or more of continuing to watch him, they've, they've got their brilliant plan. And so the plan is, if you think about it, from a human perspective, it's quite brilliant, especially if you know the history, and we'll look at a little bit of that this morning. It's very brilliant. They choose a subject that was literally a real bone of contention in that day, listen, between the Jewish people and the Romans. This was a huge issue between the two. And so what might that be? Well, it's, this is 2,000 years ago. What's changed? Taxes. It's a huge bone of t- contention between the Jewish people in particular and the Roman government. And so the question is, should the people of Israel be paying taxes to Rome, a tribute tax is what this particular tax was called, and specifically to Caesar? By, by doing this, they, they, they honestly believe, well, they would be dishonoring God to, to, to pay the tribute tax to, to Caesar. So that, that's literally a legitimate question, they would think. And you see, the reason for that is, is that Caesar, Augustus in particular, had declared himself to be divine. He, de- he declared that he was God. And to, to a lot of people, he was a, a godlike figure. And so for the Jewish people, at least, this was like, well, whoa, wait a second. Number one, we're, we're not going to bow down and worship this guy and, 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 and worship a guy who, uh, and pay taxes to a guy who declares himself to be God because, listen, that would be going against the very first of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not have another, what? God before you. It, it's, it would be idol worship. So on one hand, um, it's a big deal, and they thought this is going to get Jesus. <laughs> so I believe there are several lessons for us here. Um, the, the lesson is that their actions clearly reveal something to us, reveals their hearts. It reveals their hearts, and we've got to be careful here this morning about our hearts. They're, they're guilty of the classic lie, and the classic lie is right? You've heard it before, that the end justifies the, the means. So, yeah, we know it's dishonest. <laughs> we know it's deceitful. But we have the right idea in mind. So these are the men, listen, who are supposed to be the leaders of the Jewish people. Th- these are the ones who are supposed to be modeling righteousness <laughs> and holiness in everything that they do and, and teaching people to be that way. And, and so they're also the ones who apparently claim to love God, love his word, love the truth. But this time, this is an exception, isn't it? And so my question is, is this the way any believer should behave, let alone a leader in the church? So a lesson for you and I is that what we do or do not do also reveals our hearts. We've got to, we, we, we can't just look back on these people in that day and say, bad old Jewish people. Like a lot of, in the past, Christians have done that. And no, this is reflective of all of our hearts. We need to remember the words of James in the first chapter, the stepbrother of Jesus, when he said, listen, listen don't deceive yourselves. You can't just be hearers of the, words, of the word of God and not doers also. 
Like when it says that's a sin, don't do it. When it says do this, do that. So there's another lesson here, though. It might not be obvious at first. But I want to suggest to you that this is nothing more than classic diversion. I want you to think about this. First, what they do is they butter him up. They, they try to, you know, like, make it look like they're on his side and they respect him and he's a really good teacher. Well, wait a second. He's been teaching you for three and a half years. He's been telling you the truth about the kingdom of God, about who he is. And especially in this last week, he's teaching you and he's teaching you. And yet what they do is, is they literally, they literally deny all of it. They ignore it. And everything that he's been doing, they're ignoring the conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to them, telling them, like he is to you and I today, whenever we hear the Word of God preached, or we read it for ourselves in a Bible study, or just on our own, we, we, we get convicted, don't we? Or we should, that's the whole point of it. In their case, they just ignore it. I mean, it literally should have nailed them, but they ignore it. Now, have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever done that? A classic diversion? Well, let me give you an illustration how that might look. You hear a sermon, like today's, or any for that matter, right? Or you're in a Bible study or you read a scripture, right? And, and, and it teaches you about you need to submit to Christ. And you're like, okay, okay. You need to submit to his word. And, by the way, you need to submit to those who are in authority over you in the local church because... Jesus tells you to do that, and the Word of God does that. Or you hear a word about a specific sin that, uh, or a way of life or whatever it is that, you know what, you're probably guilty of it. Uh, if, if you haven't, you might be. And, and there's these things that you hear about, whether it doesn't matter what they are. And yet, and yet what we tend to do, and this happens, I'll tell you what, this happens right after a sermon, you know, you get convicted of something and then what you do is you go out at lunch and you don't talk about it at all, instead you talk about politics or my, my, my climbing exercise yesterday, right? Total diversion rather than letting the Holy Spirit of God convict us and speak to us. So many different things we can come up with. Trust me, I've heard them all. Trust me, I've probably expressed them all. <laughs> I've used diversion too when the Holy Spirit is talking to me specifically. It's like, well, I, I hope nobody talks to me about that afterwards. Well, the Holy Spirit is. So Jesus has been preaching and teaching with power and authority in the temple about the kingdom of God, about its arrival in him, that he is in fact the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and much more. And then he teaches a parable that exp explicitly exposes their hearts as wicked, wicked men who are going to kill him in two days because they don't want him as king. And they're like, taxes. Let's talk about taxes, right? You know, government overreaching and putting their hands into our pockets. That's a good subject, isn't it? Well, there's obviously more to it. But again, it exposes their hearts. It's interesting. So let me uh, suggest this to you. I want to, I want to also suggest this. If, if you're a bit skeptical about seeing this in your own life, let me encourage us all here this morning to think of it this way. The next time you hear a word, whether preached or in a Bible study or given to you by a friend, may I suggest before, before you deny it, 
before you push it aside and dismiss it, would you just rest for a few minutes and see if the Holy Spirit is going to maybe speak something to you? And, and secondly, watch for this. Watch that you aren't immediately thinking about changing the subject, <laughs> about diverting and talking about something else. And what, let me suggest on that point, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to all of us almost all the time. Every time I'm preparing a message, I've got to tell you, there's an old saying, if the sermon doesn't preach to the preacher, it won't preach. <laughs> it's just true. And as I review these things uh, over the last little while especially, it just, it's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's doing a work on my heart. Another piece of background that we need to look at before we consider Jesus' response is important. This was not only a huge subject for them in that day, but something that had just actually recently happened. So this was subversive. This was revolutionary in the minds of the leaders. You see, what had happened is probably around the time when Jesus was about eight to ten years of age, there was a zealot whose name was, or he was given the name, Judas the Zealot. Interestingly, he was also from Galilee, which is where Jesus was from. And so what he did is he actually led a tax revolt, you know. He, he was big on this, and he really got everybody all excited, and, and the Jewish people were going, yeah, and he was getting like a public speaker, and he was on a podium, and he was talking all about it. Guess what happened to him? <laughs> yep. The Romans picked him up, took him away, and killed him. That's what happens if you try to revolt against taxes in at least the Roman era. I'm thankful that it doesn't happen in Canada at this point in time but it might happen in other parts of the world. So insurrection is over. So this is exactly what would have happened to Jesus depending on how he answers this question. And that's, of course, what they're hoping. So Jesus, they believe, is now cornered, right? He's in a corner. He's boxed in. Say no, you shouldn't pay your taxes, and well, problem solved. Just like Judas is zealot, they're going to come along, pick you up, take you to town, and hang you or crucify you, or kill you anyway. And good, he's dead and gone. And then just as favorable in their opinion, if he was to say to the people, yes, of course, come on, pay your taxes. It's what good Jews do. It's what good Christians do. Well, the people would be like, what? What? Okay, wait a second. All that good teaching you'd be giving to us, all that great, I don't know. Sorry. And the Jewish leaders knew that that's probably what would happen. All the respect and honor that he'd gained would be gone. And so point number three, a revolutionary answer. It's a great answer. Of course it is. It's Jesus' answer. But he perceived their craftiness and said to them, show me a denarius. Whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. They didn't ask about that, but that's what he says. So, of course, right away we see that Jesus perceived. We, we know this. Listen, we've seen this so many times that Jesus literally knows our thoughts and our hearts. He's God. He knows exactly what we're thinking. He perceived. He understood. And so the truth is, we know this to be true. We maybe can fool other people from time to time. We can maybe even fool ourselves. We aren't fooling God. Ever. He perceived their hearts. He saw exactly through them. 
And despite, listen, despite their deceptive, wicked, and crafty hearts, God, Jesus tries one more time to reach them. Again, I don't know about you guys, but I'm just not normally like that. <laughs> you know, you criticize me, you try to, um, you know, make me look bad, you say something not nice about me. Mm. <laughs> Am I the only one? I'm a little defensive, you know, pushback, enough of these people. Not Jesus. So first he asks for a denarius. He asks for literally one of the coins, a denarius. And then he says, he asks this, whose likeness and inscription does it have? Well, the word likeness is synonymous with the word image. They would have known that. That's an important word in this. And so we understand that it is Caesar's image that is on the front side of the coin, and therefore what belongs to his image should be given to him. Jesus wants us to know. But secondly, there is an inscription on the back, and again, the Jewish people knew this, and it read on the back of the coin, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus, Augustus. So that was clearly blasphemy in people's minds. And so, of course, they answer quickly. Well, they go, <laughs> come on, everybody knows what, whose image is on the coin. It's Caesar's. And then Jesus says what literally has become known as one of the wisest sayings of all times. If you go to law school uh, in Oxford, Cambridge, in, in the United States, you go to any law school, they will take you to this answer. They will. They teach it because it's, it's brilliant. It's a great rebuttal. And, of course, if they're teaching lawyers to rebut and defend, this is, this is a great response. And they will unpack why it's so great, at least in their minds, why it's so great. Wise saying, they would suggest. He says, of course, as we see here, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God, it should also say, and render to God the things that are God's. And so, of course, you've seen me emphasize it now. The key word here is the word render. It's a key word. Now, uh, we were doing video editing for the longest time uh, uh, here at The Rock uh, when we were not gathering here. And there's a, there's a process when you're exporting that you render. That's a different that's, that, that's a different definition. But many people, I think, when they hear the word render, or in this text, they think simply uh, it means to give or to pay. You know, give taxes or pay taxes. That's too simplistic for the Greek word. The actual Greek word means this. It means pay back or repay. That sounds a little different, doesn't it? Well, it is. It's very different. It's not the same thing at all. And so what does it mean? Well, it means once a year, you pay back Caesar with your taxes. What, what, what am I doing? I'm just giving his money that he minted back to him? Is that the point? Is that what we're doing with our government when we give our taxes? No. Well, what are we repaying them for then? Well, think about it. And this is what Jesus is literally endorsing in this day. And to this day, I want to suggest to you, well, how about for starters, we're repaying them for the roads they built for us, or the sanitation they provide for us, or the security they provide for us at our borders and through our police and through our military. Oh, here's a couple of big ones. Universal health care. <laughs> Hospitals. Education. We're repaying them 
for that. And Jesus is saying, yeah, you should definitely do that. That's a good thing because what they're doing for you is a good thing. You know what? The Romans were, were, were brutal. They, they killed you if you wanted to revolt against their taxes or any other insurrection. But they also did a lot of good. They did a lot of good. So I think that's fair what Jesus is trying to say. And that would be a great lesson for all of us on this occasion and for today to take away. But there's more because Jesus adds something. That's not really the big idea in Jesus' mind in this passage. His answer to their question about taxes was one thing, but he wants to point them to the real issue of their hearts, and that is that they need to render to God the things that are God's. So what's that literally mean, do you think? Well, again, it has something to do with the image, doesn't it? The image of Caesar was on the coin. What image is on you? What image is on me? It's the image of God. So quite literally, whether you're a Christian or not, you are an image bearer of God, whether you know it or not. And so the reality is, his image is impressed on you. So here's the truth. You're his. We're all his. So, so I guess one way that we could look at this is we could say, well, how do you pay back God? Well, the first answer is that, to that is, you can't. We can't. Look at the creation. Look at your life, your body, your breath, your heart. Look at all the, the things that you're blessed with in your life. Look at salvation. Jesus' death on the cross in your place and for your sins. Can you pay God back for that? Listen, if you could, you could earn your own salvation. So let's forget that, right? And we can't. We can't pay back God because, listen, at the end of the day, what all of this means is, what do we owe God? Everything. Because everything is His. We owe Him our all, all of our hearts, all of our, our minds. And so, again, I, I, there's, I can't list it for you, but you see, the real truth from, listen, for most of the religious leaders in that day and the average Jew, Jewish person in that day, and this is the point that Jesus is getting at, and some of you here are just going to love this today as we get to our conclusion. Some of you, maybe not, but you should. You know what? The problem for most of them in that day was this. They loved money. And so the problem they had with taxes was pretty simple. If I have to pay tax, that means less money in my pocket. Anybody? <laughs> like, the, the average tax rate in Canada today is somewhere around 35%. When you include your income tax, GST, PST, tax on this, tax on that, you know, there's all kinds of tax, liquor tax, sin taxes as they call them, right? There, so it's about 35% average Canadian is paying in taxes. Well, they hated it. They didn't like it. But the truth was also this. They loved their money so much, not only were they willing to conspire against paying their taxes, but they were no longer giving to the Lord. They were not tithing and giving offerings to the temple or to the church. It had dwindled to the point where God was not pleased with his people. Now, some of you might be like, well, wait a second. Where, where do we get this? Well, we get this from the last book of the Old Testament, from the book of Malachi. God sends one final prophet to the people before John the Baptist comes. And after this final prophet, he goes silent for 400 years. 
He's at the point, the God who loves the Jewish people, he loves the people of the, of the earth, but they have been so unfaithful. They've given themselves repeatedly to idol after idol after idol, and finally, the idol of wealth and money has overtaken them to the point where they were no longer giving their tithes and their offerings. So God sends the prophet Malachi in chapter 3, verses 6 to 10. He speaks for God with these words. For I, the Lord, do not change. Please hear that word. The commands of God do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will turn, return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Now I'll put the last part on screen for you. But you say, how shall we return? How shall we return? Will man rob God? God asks. Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and your contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So not just the, the plebs, the average Jewish person, the religious leaders were robbing God as well. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, which is the temple or the church, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Two days, three days before he dies, he reminds them in this text the prophecy of Malachi that, look, you're robbing me, you're unfaithful, you're not listening, you're, you're concerned about taxes to Caesar. I foiled you on this one now, didn't I? Render to God the things that are God's. I wanted to suggest this to you this morning about the tithe. Why did God institute it, do you think? Well, he knew. Jesus speaks more about money, and I'll be talking about this in our membership class, more about money in the New Testament than any other subject. <laughs> he does. Why? Because he knows. He knows it's going to become an idol. Well, God instituted the tithe in the Old Testament, and I believe sincerely that he intends it to be for today as well, that we are to give. Why? Not because he needs our money. Does he need our money? No. Is it just he wants us to give so that the priests or the pastors can be paid and, and you can have full-time minister? No. It helps. He wants you to learn who's first in your life. He wants you to learn what it looks like to not make money an idol, but to worship God with everything. You know, God, you know what a tithe, a tithe means? You all know, right? It means a tenth. 35% versus a tenth. I just want you to think about it. Simple uh, way of applying that to your life. Janice and I, I'll confess to you, I think we were in our 30s, or maybe later, before we understood this principle and, uh, and started to tithe. And we just made a simple policy, and we do this to this day. I get paid on the 15th and the 30th, Janice every second Friday, and it's pretty simple. It comes in directly into our bank accounts. I look at the number, move the decimal point, bump it up a dollar or two to round off the number, and give it away. Get it out of there right away. It wasn't easy at the beginning, but today it's like, it's like the taxes that are deducted before I get my paycheck. It's a good practice. Our passage for today, Jesus ends after that lesson with these words. 
or Luke does anyway, he records these. And they were unable, look at this, not able in the presence of the people, the leaders, to catch him in what he said. But marveling at his answers, they became silent. I love that conclusion. I think you can look at that and say, okay, good, Jesus wins again. But I also think we can look at it this way today, because I'll tell you one thing, that I, I feel like an apologetic all the time. I want to defend Jesus. You know, not only preach the Word, but answer His critics. Jesus does that. He always does that. All we need to do is point people to Him and to His Word. Amen? And He will do that. I pray that these words will be an encouragement to you today, if not an exhortation. Pray with me, would you?